millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Roker Report Extra Pod. I'm Brett Lyons Davis, and tonight we are talking about, well, in the words of Phil Parkinson, a very, very good 2 2 draw v Rochdale at the Crown Oil Arena. Plus, we'll be, well, again, looking forward might not be the right word to use, but we are looking forward to Saturday's game away to Gillingham. I am joined by Chris Wynn in Sheffield. Chris, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, Brett. Thank you very much. Good man. It's always nice to have you on board. I thought I'd give you a really shorter introduction this week. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to getting into this fantastic performance, as Parky described. I wanted to jump straight into it. And um, as soon as uh, a defeat comes along, one man jumps at the opportunity to uh, say his piece. That's uh, one of the locals, Craig Chapman. Craig, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you for having me on. Baptism of fire, perhaps, that, uh, that we're going to be talking about another excellent display. But here we are. I know. It's all, sort of, uh, it's all gone a bit wrong all of a sudden. Um, so we took the lead. After 15 minutes, some good footwork actually from Lyndon Gooch. Crossing to Charlie Wyke, who heads it to uh, open the scoring 1-0. Rochdale equalised on the 25th minute. Matty Lund runs into the box, completely unmarked to head in. Uh, Bailey Wright scores a second on 40 minutes, headed in and deflected Gooch's shot. Although, to be fair, the keeper really should have done better with that one. And then, just for half-time, Rochdale equalised again. Scrapping the box. Again, though, Matty Lund finds himself with acres of space and pulls it back so it's tall at half-time. Second half, not a great deal to shout about. The lads huffed and puffed, had a couple of chances, one in particular being Max Power having a shot cannon off the bar. But it fizzled out and uh, we drew 2-2. Chris? (laughs) Where do we start? It was a truly awful game. It was was actually painful to watch. It was difficult to watch. It was difficult to keep your focus on actually watching the game. To say it was, I mean, it was, it was just an awful game. Two awful teams slugging it out, trying to get all three points. And when I say slugging it out, I don't mean... Trying busting a gut to, to, to get a goal. It was just catalogue of mistakes by both sides. Both sides just giving away possession, getting into the final third and then just kind of melting <laughs> both sides. Just had no clue when they got into the final third. And actually, I, I thought both sides were pretty even. We, you know, Rochdale just survived relegation last year. Um, you know, we're obviously, you know, got different aspirations in League One this year and both sides just, just looked even. And it was kind of following, uh, from my point of view, I think it was following this, a similar pattern to pretty much every game this season, um, other than, you know, that the opposition actually kind of gave us a headache in terms of putting us under pressure on the ball. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of just same again and, you know, a, a slightly different result from usual. But I, I don't see it was hugely different to, to what we've already seen this season. No, I agree with what you're saying, especially that first part of there when you said that it was difficult to sort of keep concentration on the game. It had a real weird feeling about it. I don't know if it's like one of the first ones, an evening kickoff with an empty stadium. It felt very non-league almost, that, that it, was, it was a really hard game to actually watch and keep your focus on. So I do sort of agree with what you were saying there, Chris. Craig, I'll jump straight to you. What are your sort of initial thoughts on the game? Obviously, we will delve a lot deeper into it. Well, I just wrote Mingen on my <laughs> notes, and I think that was probably the most accurate assessment of it. Um, it was a bit of a bizarre one because, you know, we came out with the, the talk about, you know, we needed a, an instant response from the Portsmouth game. And from the offset, you know, I, I thought we were second best for large parts. Uh, Rochdale started on the front foot. They, like Portsmouth, kind of cottoned on to the way that we've been playing. They pressed us in the early stages. They put us under a lot of pressure. And when we did eventually, you know, kind of weather that storm and, and get a foothold, I think the nature of this league is because teams are that poor, we pretty much score with our what first first real meaningful chance of the game, and you think 
now's the time to perhaps go kick on. But I don't know. It's exactly like what you've both addressed so far. We were sluggish, lethargic. There wasn't very much of a tempo about it. It just had the hallmarks of a of a game where a neutral would perhaps look at this and, and maybe consider this two mid-table teams or bottom-half teams who were more than evenly matched. And, I mean, in respect of Rochdale, they were more than deserving of the point. I thought were absolutely horrendous. I thought the team selection was was a bit all the pot. Um, I, I don't... I, I, there's just not many positives that you could really take from it um, at all. And what's really, really alarming and really worrying is the fact that we seem to be kind of revisiting history somewhat again. Um, and when we should have been looking for, for an enormous response and putting a statement out and, and going down there and winning convincingly, we've, we've come away again. And it's, it's leaving us with more questions rather than answers. No, that's definitely it. And I think one of the big questions, you know, what has happened to our defence before last Saturday? So we're talking literally, what, five, six days ago, we actually had the best defence in the country. And all of a sudden we've shipped in five goals in two games. Chris, can you even put your finger, was that defence actually as good as was being made out at first? Or has it all just fallen apart all of a sudden? What's going on? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a case of the defence falling apart. I think I said last time I was on a pod and I can't remember when that was couple of weeks ago maybe I said then that um, basically the level of opposition this season so far had been had just been awful in League One I mean apart from that period when I was saying those comments I mean apart from that period first 20 minutes half an hour of that Peterborough game nobody had really put us under pressure in terms of the way they played pressured us on the ball looked like they were actually going to score looked like they were going to create a chance and then we came up against a Portsmouth side and you could you could tell we absolutely panicked against Portsmouth that we had a team who thought actually while these in possession in their own half we're actually going to put them under pressure and, and actually put a tackle in and we panicked and we didn't know how to handle it because nobody else had done that so I don't think it was I don't think our defence has suddenly fallen apart. I just think our game plan is around slow, methodical, trying to break the opposition down. It's almost like a war of attrition where we bore the opposition into scoring a goal. And but bore the fans a lot. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so so what, what what's happened in the last couple of games is Portsmouth put us under pressure, we panicked, and then we lose possession in, in kind of the final third of the pitch. And the first goal came from that. And once you go a goal down... I mean, all right, we got one back, but then we were kind of shell-shocked and didn't quite know how to handle it. And then we, we conceded another one, kind of giving away possession again. And then the third was was Luke nine when we were chasing the game. And and, and Rochdale wasn't exactly kind of the, the back three being kind of awful. It was just our organisation and not picking up players. But again, it was because Rochdale decided to put us under pressure and we panicked. I think as a glutton for punishment, really, I looked back at the goals prior to recording tonight and in every single one, they were all avoidable. Mm. They were all silly mistakes where, you know, we've we've been forced into it. And I think you're right in that respect. The level of opposition in recent games, they, they've stood off us. They haven't had the you know, kind of the balls to really come and have a go at us. And, and now I think that somebody's actually cottoned on again to say, you know what, if you take the game to Sunderland, that's where you put them under cre- uh, pressure. That's when they begin to crumble somewhat. And that's when we really look vulnerable. And, and again, last night, you think, address those mistakes, ensure that, you know, that our vulnerabilities aren't being exploited. But lo and behold, again, some of our decision-making across those five goals have been like, really, really bad. And We've been kind of celebrating the, the defensive record. and I know it's kind of bit us on the arse a little bit now, but um, I, whilst I, I think there is, you know, kind of cause for concern, I, I think it's important, obviously, that we do look at the bigger picture and say that we do certainly have the capabilities of keeping clean sheets, but we need to ensure that the defensive line remains as tight-knit um, and hopefully Jordan Willis will return to, uh, to full fitness soon. But whether it's a case of you know kind of too many changes in in quick succession who knows perhaps you know really just clutching for straws here but um the last the last two games have really been worrying the perfect thing we said there was about sort of like the changing around the team so it started off the start of the season with Willis Wrights and um Flanagan at the back and they were pretty solid and say there has been chops and changes going on Luca Nines come in um, McLaughlin's come in we also had Dion Sanderson come in what were your thoughts on his performance though can you think he can sort of push himself into that sort of back three. Were, were you impressed at all with him? And as a bit of a baptism of fire, Craig, I'll jump straight back to you with that one. Considering he hasn't really played much competitive football, I thought he'd done okay. I mean, that being said, we're saying it's okay and it's still a 2-2 draw away at Rochdale. So in hindsight, that's it's not really good enough. I thought that 
at times, you know, he was maybe a little sloppy in possession. Obviously, the the collision with with George Dobson for for the goal was bad, but I thought beyond that, he he grew into the game somewhat, and he he looked all right. But that being said, I I would still not be confident if he was going to be a first choice selection. Ideally, when we're back to full fitness, then you would expect the uh, the partnership of the three to come back in. But I th- I think he'll do well. I think given the opportunity that uh, that he'd be all right, but. Again, it's one of those things you've got to look at kind of long term. If he does become a success here, then that's that's it really. He'll be returning back to his parent club and we're just gonna be kicking the problem down the road again. So yeah, I've I've got faith that he'll that he'll do okay, but that being said, ideally I would only want to see him come into the team as and when needed. I wouldn't have him as a starter, not just yet. No, Chris, what are your thoughts or thoughts on his uh debut? Yeah, he looked alright. It looked like he can handle handle the ball. It looked like com- quite comfortable in possession. I wasn't I mean, it was a couple of couple of nervy moments, but I'm putting that down to kind of being match fit. Um, as as Craig said, he hasn't played much football, and he's come in. He's he's young, and he hasn't actually played much kind of you know like football league kind of football. So it was always going to take him time to to kind of get the the pace of the game. But he didn't look out of place. Um, he looked like he was strong enough. He was decent in the air. So yeah, he he looks he looks like uh, I think he could be a good loan signing. There was big question marks. Um, although we also like talking about the defence there, that how much. The midfield helped the defence. Parra and Dobson, if you look online, have both come in for massive amounts of criticism and probably rightly so. You know, I think for that both first and then the second goals, the midfield could have helped out more. Chris, where do we go with that midfield? <laughs> well, they they were awful, weren't they? I, I was really surprised, actually. I mean, I put on the, the preview what I thought the team was going to be on the website. And um, I was I was fairly sure that, you know, because Ledbetter had made that mistake, that I always think that the best thing that a player will want after something like that is to be back in the team and back into it. I don't think he would have wanted to be taken out. And I'm sure he was chomping at the bit to kind of make up for, for that performance at, at Portsmouth. So it was a bit of a bit of a surprise. But I, I think um, looking back to the Bristol Rovers game on the, the opening day of the League One season when George Dobson was in there and had a shocker that day as well. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think I think that's what Parkinson set out to do this season. That was his that was his original plan. He originally wanted George Dobson to play in that role. So I think he saw this as his first opportunity that led better made a mistake and he th- he thought, right, well I'm gonna hook him and get George Dobson back in there, see how he does, um, because I want him to play there. But he's had two games there and he's been he's been crap twice. I mean, basically. <laughs> Couldn't keep possession at all, didn't really look for the forward pass. Max Power, I I don't really get I don't really get Max Power. I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's I don't think he's an attacking midfielder. I don't see him as a holding midfielder. I don't really see him as a box-to-box midfielder. <laughs> I, I don't know what he is. And and I know we've been trying to play him in that advanced role, but he's hardly been kind of laying off chances or sliding people in or creating anything or looking like he's going to score. I mean, all right, okay, he hit the bar, but you know that, that, that's been a bit of a kind of anomaly f- for this season for Max Power. So Ledbetter, when he was in there, he made that mistake against Portsmouth. You know, players make a mistake. You know, he, I'm sure he wanted to come back and get over it. But he's the only one who's really looked comfortable in those midfield roles this season. So, um, and relying on someone like Ledbetter, who might not be able to to do the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday routine too too often, is is a bit worrying. So Dobson and Power need to either find a role that suits them, or or try and work out what they need to do in the, these current roles and find some form. Craig, you've been nodding away with uh, with Chris just there. So for yourself, Parra and Dobson, it looks like one of them's got to play, really. You know, out of the formation that um, Parkinson's plays alongside Ledbetter, what do we do with them? <laughs> what do we do with that, that problem in the centre of the park? I think I was just laughing along because it was kind of like the nail on the head. My exact note is we've had Max Power for two years, we've had George Dobson for one year, and I'm still none the wiser as to what exactly <laughs> either role is in the team. Um, I mean, George Dobson, when we brought him in, for example, you know, he was kind of touted as, as like a captain leader that we brought in from a recently relegated team who was supposed to be so much better. But we're a year down the line. He can't really contribute in respect of goals or assists. His passing is substandard, and that's been kind. Um, there's just not really many positives, if any, that I could find about him. And... You know, there was a lot of people who used to criticise George Honeyman when he was in the team. And, you know, he, he took a lot of flack. But I think if if we're kind of looking at, say, like kind of comparisons for progression, 
and and obviously our desire to get promoted. Ideally, if you're selling a player and you know bringing in a replacement, it ha- he has to be better. And George Dobson just he just he's done nothing in in a full full year. I I would honestly look towards January and see if there is actually a team out there who would potentially take him off our hands if we can recuperate any money or if we can just get him off the wage bill because he he just offers us absolutely nothing and power's a funny one because again we've we've had so many variations of what he's supposed to be we've been told he's the box to box the rolls rice player this and the other he's the leader but i really don't see any any attributes that would actually make me think that he could be a success in this division and that we could actually carry that forward into into next season um i'm not 100 percent sure i think he's in the last year of his contract but i would not be you know kind of upset if it was the case of that run out and would never see him play for Sunderland again I think there's zero creativity between them they don't complement each other very well at all and there must be an absolute dream to play against because it just seems that you know kind of if you run at them they're they're very slow they're both very pedestrian they just don't have anything about them either one and whilst you say obviously we, we do have to accommodate one or the other because we don't really have much beyond that I would have expected Grand Ledbetter in the side. There was a lot of rumours online to say that there was perhaps a falling out. Again, we've got nothing to validate that. But that being said, if it is the case that we're going to maybe look for alternatives, then, you know, we've got somebody like Dan Neal, who's been chomping at the bits. He's played well in the EFL Trophy games. Um, when being involved, he's done well in pre-season. So what I'd be looking at is for, for somebody like him. I, I think for somebody like George Dobson now, he's he's had so many chances and We've we've seen what we get with him, and it's it's just not good enough. So I I'd, I'd be looking at alternatives, but that being said, we're in we're in such a, a kind of a precarious position at the moment where eight games in, eleven games competitively, we still have no idea what our best lineup is. No, that is the frightening thing about it, and I think also the fact that Parkinson is so rigid on this formation that he wants to play, and he's obsessed with it to the point where he will play players out of position. Luke O'Neill the other day playing a centre back when he's clearly not a centre back. Yeah, he played one decent game in midway against Crew, but that isn't his role. It worries me a lot when you mentioned Dan Neal there that a Dan Neal, Kim Bioka, a Jack Diamond, they're not even making the bench to make any kind of changes in his team. And again, that's why I say he's so rigid that his strikers, you know, you know what you're going to get. You know, White's going to play for 80 minutes. He'll come off. Graham will come on or Grigg will come on. It's very concerning that he has no plan B whatsoever. And it's also concerning that that plan, there's no plan B, but also it doesn't concern any of the youngsters who should be getting some game time now, surely. Yeah, well, I mean, he did. Sorry for cutting in. He discussed the idea of the twenty threes working as a reserve team, and that the opportunity would be there to forge that path to the first team. You know, that was one of the arguments that essentially was going to keep Aidan McGeady out of the the picture because we wanted to give said opportunity to the young lads. Now you've got somebody like Diamond who has performed well. He took his goal very well um, in the game against Carlisle. Again, he played okay in preseason. Um, Neil. When when he got involved, I think he looked like a player beyond his years, actually. He was very calm and composed on the ball. He was threatening. He drove possession forward. Benji Kimpioka, again, he's had an awful lot of criticism in terms of whether he wanted to be here or not. You know, he subsequently renewed his contract. He's back now, so therefore, if he performs, he should be in the picture. And I think he scored, what, six goals in the past three or four games in the 23s? Now, if we're, say, devoid of, um, you know, any sort of creativity, if our strikers aren't, aren't performing then surely somebody like him should be coming in as an alternative because it's like for like selections, you know, you're looking to to basically go out and win the game and you take, say, Charlie White off, you bring Danny Graham on. It's it's pretty much identically the same. There's 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 no difference to that. There's no variation. And if it hasn't been working for the best part of 80 minutes, there's no reason to suggest it's going to work in the last 10. So that is very, very concerning. Yeah. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's parky ball, isn't it? That's the way he plays. I mean, it's it's pretty apt. <laughs> the the second season of uh, the Mandalorian's coming out this week because it's like this is the way, isn't it? There's no other way. Um, that that's that's Parky's system, and you can see with the changes, it's like for like. He he pulls one out, he puts one in who plays in exactly the same role because that player knows how to do that role. He knows what his defensive duties are. He knows where he needs to be on the pitch, and it's not like oh, you know, we're drawn twos each at Rochdale. Let's. How about we put two up front and try a partnership up front? Why don't we put two wide men and you know go go to a back four, take one out of the back three, 
tell Dem- Denver Hume and, and McLaughlin to bomb on fullbacks and overlap for the last quarter of an hour. There's none of that. It's, he's just got a plan A. I mean, there's there's no plan B. I mean, talking about the youngsters as well. I mean, I'm I'm always hesitant. It, it always seems to be the reaction. You you usually hear it with with England. You know, when England get knocked out of a tournament, it's like, oh my god, you know, bring in the eighteen year olds, bring in the bring in the youngins. Why is you know? And it's always kind of after the fact. But I mean, we've got some we've got some good young players at the at the club. But I, I I don't think I mean, look at our eleven against Rochdale. They should be going to Rochdale and winning that game. I mean, we shouldn't. We shouldn't need to be saying, you know, we need Diamond in, we need Neil in, we need Kim Pioker in, because on paper, you know, these players should be doing a job, and the system I think is restricting them from going out and beating teams like Rochdale. I mean, Dan Neil looked tired last twenty minutes against Carlisle. I, th- I still think. I, th- I mean, I think Dan Neil looks like he's a fantastic player. Looks so comfortable on the ball in possession. He- he's going to be. He's going to be a cracking player. But I still think. He needs a loan move. I, I, I really wish he'd gone out on loan last season like Diamond did because Diamond's come back and Diamond's really kind of looking like he's ready for League One football. But in this system that he's got, I'm, I'm struggling to see where the likes of Diamond comes in because he was okay at right wing back, but that's not his natural position. Kim Pioca's a winger and we don't play wingers. So, you know, I'd like to see maybe Kim Pioca come on the bench and come on for the last 15 minutes as a partner for a for a Wyke or a Danny Graham to play off them because he's got a bit of pace. But but Parkinson won't do that because he hasn't got a plan B. So I'd love these lads to get some time on the coming off the bench, but I, I don't think they're fit with what Parkinson is doing. No, it is a difficult one, isn't it? And I think it's been made more difficult by another player that's in the shadows a little bit at the moment, and that is uh, Aidan McGeady. So obviously there was a poll in the vocal report um, basically saying, should he get back into the first team um, squad? Now, when I looked at it earlier, it was 81% said yes, 19% said no. And if you don't know the ins and outs of what's actually happened with McGeady, because it's not just the um, the McDonald's gate, um, there has also been um, podcasts going out uh, by Open Goal. And I'll read what's what's gone on so far. So, obviously, we had um, Morgan, who's a play for us last season on loan. He's basically put this out um, about McGeady. So he is ruthless. I've never seen anyone that ruthless. He'd come in and I think we drew a Burton or something. And he came into the change room and said, you can't play play in front of that. Burton Albion, Wednesday night, one each. You will never play any higher than this. Um, nobody would say anything to him. He would single someone out and everyone was scared of him. Now, so McGeady's this week been on open guard himself and defending himself. And to be fair, as you expect, he has put a different sort of um, slant onto the story. Um, he has come out and said this, though. So the thing is, I won't do his accent, obviously. The thing is, right, your interviews are supposed to be funny and lighthearted. I get that Morgie was trying to tell funny stories, but see, the time and the place was wrong because obviously the situation I'm in at Sunderland the story he told, I was getting loads of grief because he said, I walked into the dressing room and said, yous aren't good enough, yous can't play at a high level. I've got journalists ring me right after that interview went out and he was like, Lewis Morgan said these comments, what have you got to say? I was like, look mate, this is what happened. I walked in the dressing room, we just drawn 2-2 of Akron Stanley, no disrespect, but Sunderland should be beating Accrington Stanley. We had a big meeting, Jack Ross gave us an open forum to have a say. Loads and loads of people spoke up and I said, lads, I'm 33 now. Chances are I won't play at a higher level again. But I imagine all of you have aspirations to play at a high level or you should have. If you can't handle the fans getting on at you um, against Accrington on a Tuesday night, you won't play at a higher level. You've got to be able to bottle that up, block that out and deal with the pressure. That's what I said. But Morgan made it sound like I went, ha ha, you lot won't play at a high level. That's not what I said. If Lee Catamore or Kevin Ball had said something like that, it would be amazing. What I was saying there was wrong. Why wouldn't I have high standards at a club like Sunderland? If you're accepting 2-2 draw of Akron Stanley, Sunderland will be in League One for the foreseeable. Now, when you, when that slant's put on it, has he said anything that's wrong? Craig, you know, where do you stand with Aidan McGeady? Should he be back in the team? Should it, What should we do with him? Yeah, so... I- I think if Phil Parkinson is to weather this storm, he needs to win games immediately with conviction or that noise to bring Aidan McGeady back in from the cold. It's not going to go away. And I think one of the biggest frustrations our fans have got right now is that we are totally oblivious to what has actually gone on behind the scenes. And with so many varying versions of events, like you've just mentioned, Brett, people will honestly not know what to believe. Uh, We know Aidan McGeady is a complex character. He's had fallen outs with managers in the past. Um, obviously Chris Coleman notably here but on the other hand you look at it 
And you say he's played for several big clubs. He has almost 100 caps for his country. So you can kind of understand his version of events and why he rightfully wouldn't be happy to settle for a draw at home to Accurate and Stanley because, you know, none of us would. But ultimately, when stuff like this happens, my opinion is that it's a power play from the club. They try and mess with the player's head as much as they can and hope that at one point he's going to turn around and say, right, if you pay me X amount, I'll leave. And I think it's reasonable to suggest that's what Sunderland are perhaps bargaining for here. They're trying to break him down enough so that he'll just walk out on less money and, and we can obviously save down the road. And if, you know, yeah, you all remember that we went through something similar with Phil Bardsley and Lee Catamall a few years back. And just like those two, uh, McGeady would be brought back in immediately if the manager was replaced. And perhaps it's just him biding his time. Um, but unbeknown to many, I mean, I recently spoke with a player who left us over the summer and, you know, he was pretty adamant that Aidan McGeady was not a disruptive influence at all. And he said that the mood within the dressing room dropped when we went on that long winless run when Phil Parkinson first took charge, which is to be expected because, you know, when you've got a 100 point target set by the owners and you're not winning games, there's always going to be disagreements as to what's gone wrong. And then, of course, the little things will emerge more often. Uh, anyway, this player, he told me that there was certainly an unrest around the club, not just exclusive to the dressing room, and Phil Parkinson couldn't find a solution to it. So then after we get beat at Gillingham for the second consecutive week, uh, McGeady has then apparently spoken up to say that results like that were unacceptable and that he was unhappy that he didn't even feature that day. I know there was a lot of comments from people beforehand to say it looked like he wasn't, you know, kind of well engaged or, or even remotely looking up for it when he was um, when he was in the warm-up. So something's obviously happened prior and then you've got the the McDonald's incident on the way home and lo and behold, a few days later, he's essentially bombed out the squad and we were told that he doesn't have a future here anymore. But I think from Phil Parkinson's side, he's probably going to be looking at this feeling that it's crucial that he keeps the dressing room on his side. And I think his job now is to make sure that the group has that culture where everyone sticks together and that's conducive to a good atmosphere because, you know, any squad member or anybody at all who has a divisive way of his thinking is just going to completely kill us, at least from his perspective. But that being said, though, if we continue to drop points to teams that we shouldn't, or if we look ineffective and struggle to break teams down, then he's got to be looking at alternative options to win games. Now, we don't know how fit Aid McGeady is. From what we're told, he didn't set the world alight at Charlton last season when he went out on loan. But if you can get him back up to that full fitness... He is a proven goal scorer at this level. I mean, for Christ's sake, when Josh Madger left, he literally was, you know, our only hope. He almost single-handedly carried us to promotion. He scored two crucial goals in the EFL trophy. And I know people will perhaps say he's finished and use his age as an excuse not to involve him. But I think if you look at who our player of the season has been so far, maybe it's a little hasty to, you know, be judging somebody just on their, their age or their lack of involvement if you like, around our first team or even even altogether. I mean, even if you look at, say, somebody like Danny Graham, who's arguably our best striker, he's actually closer to 40 than he is 30. So I, I'm not on board with saying Aidan McGeady's finished, but if he was to be involved, then we're certainly going to need to get him back up to speed, you know, sooner rather than later. But I think as an overall, what I'd like to see here is I'd, I'd like us to draw a line under it because we can't keep playing out these you know kind of scenarios whether we bring him in or whether we exclude him every time that Cy Ferry does one of these interviews I think at this point either both parties come to an agreement and pay him off or we give him an opportunity to actually earn his wages again because he's of absolutely no use to us at the moment and he's still earning a small fortune and you would imagine that he's probably the highest earner still within the squad so why not actually get something out of him get some value for the money we're spending and you know whatever has happened move on from it grow from it this year has been one of the craziest years that we'll ever experience in existence. So why not just let bygones be bygones, utilize every resource we've got to get out of this division. And I know I've went around the doors with the answer, but yeah, I'd bring Ian McGeady in because I think at the moment we are toothless. We need that extra option. So at the moment, it's a yes for me. I would have Aidan McGeady back involved. And I think if it is the case that Phil Parkinson's job is, on the line um you know if it is the case that he's going to be replaced then i would say with almost certainty that we will see him again in a Sunderland shirt i do think it's quite um i think knee-jerk reaction is probably the wrong word to use but i do believe the longer bad results happen the aiden mcgee get back in the team is only going to get louder and louder and louder um Chris, what's your opinions on it? Are you uh, do you think you should be back in the squad, or would you still, you know, is he going to mess things up? Well, 
I mean, for a start, Craig's right. I think I think it's one of these things that Parkinson's drawn drawn a line in the sand, you know, with uh, with the owners because I'm fairly certain the owners and Rodwell, Jim Rodwell, and every, everybody high up in the club will have said he's on a fortune, make him earn his money. I'm, I'm absolutely positive that of that, and he said. And he's probably turned around and said, if if McGeady plays for Sunderland again, he's not going to be there. He's probably told them that that he's he's gone, he's done, he's completely finished with. Otherwise, otherwise that you know the the extended stoppage we had was a perfect opportunity to to get him in and say you know and really talk to talk to the fella and and see what was going on. But that that hasn't happened, and he's he's earning. As I said, he's earning a fortune compared to everybody else, and he's not doing anything. And, and he is—he is a—he's a good player. Um, but I mean, he, as I said, I don't think that will happen. Craig's exactly right. If Parkinson goes, it, it might be a possibility. But the thing is, from from my point of view as well, you know, all this you know clamor for oh, you know, bring McGeady back. We're, we're struggling for for creativity. Look, look at the two players who played behind Charlie White against Rochdale, um, Maguire and Gooch. They're good players. They're, they're they're better players than League One. You know they're they're probably champion. Well, okay, Maguire spent most of the time in League One, but the top end League One players. But the problem is, you, you saw you saw at Rochdale the balls played into their feet. They turned around. There was a couple of times when Maguire broke, especially in the first half, and he looked forward, and all he had was Charlie White kind of making a half-hearted attempt, not even to make a run. It was kind of to take a defender away, and it was absolutely no pace whatsoever. He wasn't looking for it in behind. What he was looking for was waiting for human McLaughlin to catch up, get wide and get a ball into the box. And Maguire had no option other than to turn around, play a backwards pass or to wait for one of the wide men to, to catch up with him. Gooch is exactly the same. He had to wait for support. So we bring McGeady in. I mean, McGeady isn't going to suddenly pick up the ball and have all of these different options that Maguire and um, Gooch just haven't got. So... I mean, even if we bring McGeady back, it's not gonna it's not gonna change much in terms of how we play because, as I said earlier, the system restricts our better players from probably kind of showing what what they can do. Yeah, that that, so that is the um is the worry that if we do bring him back, where does he even fit into that team with um without all rigid that the Parkinson has it? You know, who would you take him out if he did come back? Well, it'll be one of those two. I mean, if you look, it'll be one of those two who played behind Wyke. But like I said, I mean it. Nothing would change because McGeady would have the same. You know, he'd still have Charlie White in front of him. So, so nothing would change there. <laughs> One thing you both actually did say there was that if Parkinson um, was sacked, then McGeady would probably get back into the team. Now, again, look going on to um, Twitter, which is always dangerous because what you can see on there, a lot of people are now clamouring for Parkinson to be sacked. Now, obviously, we're under well, possible. New ownership at some point, you know. There's you know periods of exclusivity that go on forever. You know, so in the likelihood it, it is he's not going anywhere for the you know near time. But if it was your call, Craig, would you sack Phil Parkinson tonight? Yes. Yeah. Um. I th- I think we know that whoever is in charge of Sunderland under the current regime, if the current regime is going to stay it as it is, they're going to be working under severe restrictions. That being said, the resources at Phil Parkinson's disposal are still beyond the imagination of any other clubs in this league. I think regardless of whatever is going on behind the scenes, this is still an environment where the right manager should be coming in and and certainly thriving. And I think I mentioned earlier with what we've had 11 competitive games this season. We've had eight in the league. What I would add is a significantly worse league this particular season. So I think that is now sufficient time to actually begin to judge him. I know Jim Rodwell went on record a couple of weeks ago and he was saying our targets to win the league. A few of the players have also mentioned promotion as well, which is certainly more than achievable. Now, the table is starting to take shape somewhat and we're already falling behind. Now, I appreciate that you know some people may consider it a little reactionary to want to sack your manager after two games without a win. And I guess my view isn't just reduced to the previous two games that we've had. I think we've what now had a calendar year under Phil Parkinson where we've, we've made no progression I think we're once again sinking to the depths of, you know, kind of like the expectations being that that law that, you know, he's actually convincing himself, as you said at the top of the show, that a 2-2 draw away at Rochdale is an acceptable result. And look, I mean, I've, I've never I've never really been a big fan of Phil Parkinson, but whilst I'll concede that at times this season we've looked better defensively, fitter also, 
I mean, as we've seen over the course of the past two games, we're always a moment away from teams working us out. Mm-hmm. And that's not too hard to do. It's been evident. Um, I think certainly again last night, you know, defensive mistakes once again setting in because teams are starting to have a go at us, they're pressing us. It's persistence, as we mentioned, with the same dull game plan. It means that we're easy to play against. And I think players playing out position, as we've all touched upon, uh, they can be targeted and exploited. Like I said, I know that we're only eight games in, but the signs are worrying. Um, he appears to have little faith in his new signings. Personally, I can't see anything at present to suggest that O'Brien or Greg is going to make any sort of significant impact or contribution to us so far because they're not getting the chance. I mean, as I said beforehand, he's discussed the ideas of the 23s and reintroducing them at the expense of Aidan McGeady. But again, you know, it doesn't look like there is a pathway to have them involved. And I think I just viewed as simple as this, really. You know, Parkinson's time here has obviously been incredibly eventful and fans have been doing the 180, should he stay, should he go? And he was pretty much on borrowed time after the Bolton game last year. And I think we're kind of circulating around that again. Um, He tried something different. You know, we won a handful of games. And whilst other teams were uncertain about what we were doing and how to play against us, his mindset then, it's pretty much like I've cracked us and this is just my plan now. I don't need the alternative. I've got my winning formula. And where in reality is, once we get worked out, it's exactly as you both mentioned. We've got no plan B. There's nothing on the bench because of his own you know, persistence in those selections that people can come in and change it. It was like for like last night. And I mean, that's why we ran out of steam last season, because it was the over-reliance on those players. Yep. And I think for me, that's why after eight games already, I, I could honestly say with 100% hand on heart, that will not be promoted under him uh, playing the, the, the way that we are at the moment. My kind of last point on this is we need to start remembering just, you know, who exactly we are. You know, 12 months ago, performances under Jack Ross were deemed not good enough, whether right or wrong. Um, This despite us being sat in the playoffs. We've just knocked Burnley and Sheffield United out of the League Cup. Pretty good performances. But Charlie Murphy went on record. He said the data suggested that we'd end the season in eighth if we allowed Jack Ross to continue. Of course, we did eventually finish in eighth. But I think... Over the course of that 12-month period, what's happened is the run of results have been that poor, that bad, that we've actually just grown accustomed to it. And all of a sudden, we're starting to convince ourselves to say, actually, you know, he's, he's doing a pretty okay job. He was brought in to get the extra 10% out of the players. That was in his opening statement. He was going to give us this extra edge. In his remit was promotion. He failed. I think he gets off somewhat lightly because of the COVID situation. Um, and obviously, the way that the season transpired and was curtailed. That being said, we should have been promoted last season. The league wasn't as good as it was in season one. I still believe Jack Ross would have got us promoted. I still believe he would now. But Phil Parkinson is not the right man for Sunderland. I don't think it's a knee-jerk reaction based upon what we've seen from fans so far over the course of the, the past 24 hours or so. We've all watched the performances unfold this season. We watched the crew game where, realistically speaking, we should have ran away 4-5-0 winners and you're still sitting out the last 15 minutes concerned that potentially you know they could nick an equaliser. I think we've become that sort of easy and boring um that there's there's just nothing there's just nothing quite there really for me that that offers that sort of inspiration to say at the back end of this season that we're we're going to be getting promoted. The issue of course like you've rightly said is due to the current ownership situation we have not got a clue what's going to unfold. The reality is if new owners are going to come in you would expect that he would get sacked. It was pretty much the exact way that that Chris Coleman's time obviously came to an end here because it's a brand new clean start. You would perhaps expect the same with Parkinson. But if it is the case that the current regime ought to remain in charge, then you know I, I really think that we've got to start exploring alternatives because by this time next week, we're going to be 10 games in. The season's running away pretty quickly. And as things stand, we're what, seven points off top of the league to a team yeah. like Lincoln? Yes, we have the good old fabled game in hand. But come on, how many times have we said that? That was... Obviously, um, you know, the pressing thing under Jack Ross's time, well, don't worry, we've got two or three games in hand. Mm. But the idea is that Sunderland have got to go out and make sure that we win those games in hand. And we've displayed so many times that we're, you know, we're not the side to go out and and obviously chase that position down. And my overwhelming concern is already is that the cracks are there. I don't think that we've ironed out the problems that we've had from the back end of last season. Like I said, defensively, perhaps a little more solid, excluding the last two games, but we're still toothless up front. I still can't quite get my head around why he's, you know, completely say, ostracized Will Grigg from the group. Grigg has a, a relatively okay preseason. He starts well against Hull to disallow goals. And then again, you'll never see him again. So there's there's something amiss. I honestly don't think that, you know, Phil Parkinson will last the season. I really don't. Regardless of whatever happens over the course of the next week, I still maintain that he's not the right man here. Not when you've got somebody like 
the, the, the Cowley brothers out there who might come in and, and add a little bit of spark, add a bit of invention, you know, m- maybe give us a, a three-year plan, a five-year plan. You've got somebody like Paul Cook who's waiting in the wings for another job offer as well. Those are viable options, people who you know are going to come in and, and give us that attacking football. But with Phil Parkinson, again, I'm sure he's a nice bloke. I don't want to make too many disparaging comments, but he's, he's, he's just not a big enough personality name or character for this football club. Well, Chris... Wow. <laughs> how do you respond? How do you respond how, how to do that? I <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're we're a year a year on, um, and if you look at um, uh, go back to last kind of September October, and Lincoln City away was our eleventh league game of the season. We got beat, got beat two nil, and we were in sixth. Um, and if you look at the current league table, um, we're currently seventh, but with that game in hand, as Craig mentioned, we could go into fifth. So, I mean. <laughs> remember that after that Lincoln game it was building up and you know the fans kind of just lost it and they were basing they were looking at the league table and saying well Jack Ross is going to get us between what fourth and eighth and it just maybe depends on that bit of luck whether we get the rub of the green or a decision or something like that that means we we kind of get into those bottom two playoff positions and I think a year on I think we're in exactly the same position so We've got, I mean, I'd say if in ideal circumstances, if we had an ownership who were running the club and were involved in looking at what's going on, in, you know, rather than trying to sell the club and pass these decisions on to somebody else, they'd be looking at this and saying, well, we've got, a, we've got another decision to make because 12 months ago we made a decision when we were in this exact position. So 12 months ago, they rolled the dice. They said, well, Jack Ross is going to get us into the playoffs. We're going to try and get someone to get us into top two. Parkinson didn't do that. And currently, so far this season, he's doing pretty much this exactly the same thing as Jack Ross was doing. Um, except, or um, I'll say except, but I mean, if you just go through the games, they've all been, they've, we haven't kind of comprehensively kind of beat anybody. We've kind of beat people by default. We've we've scored chances that, you know, we've suddenly getting out of the blue, out of nothing. Um, we haven't kind of created, you know, games where we've consistently created three or four really kind of clear cut chances where you think, oh, yeah, we, you know, we, we were all over them. We really kind of um, kind of battered them and, and played well. We've controlled certain games, but it's kind of this <laughs> every game is a slog to watch. And that's the Phil Parkinson way. And if, if, if it carries on, we've got to accept that that's the that's the system and that's the style. So they've, they've got a decision to make. Um, and. But unfortunately, I don't think they're concentrating on that decision. I think as far as they're concerned, if they've got a deal on the table and they're working that out, I think Phil Parkinson will be fine as far as they're concerned to keep us bobbing along in those playoff positions. And they're happy to pass the buck on to the next regime. If it was me and I took over the club today, I'd I'd change the manager. But uh, but <laughs> who that might be, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's... Tons of managers out there who'll take us on. I think there's there's managers out there who itching at the chance to take Sunderland um, back up to the championship. So yeah, I, I'd I'd change it. Well, so that's both of you getting rid of uh, Phil Parkinson. Interesting there. So you know, I say the people are getting. It's going to get louder and louder, isn't it? You know, um, and basically, I don't think people would be so bothered about the dull football if we were first or second. I think we could live for that because we look like we're progressing somewhere. At the moment, it's just negative, and now the results are also following the negative play as well. So, yeah, I think you know. Say, I don't think you're alone. That you, you know, in thinking that it's you know time to get rid of him. Moving forward, though, so this Saturday, Gillingham, you know, they lost uh, yesterday one 0 to a late Ipswich strike, um, and they've actually lost f- uh, the last four games. Currently sitting sixteenth in League One. Chris, for yourself, then I, I think. We know that what team Parkinson is pretty much going to play, but who do you think who's Parkinson going to play, and who would you play on Saturday? Oof, well, uh, O'Neill will come back in on the right, I imagine. Willis will come back in at the back because I'm pretty sure he'll be he'll be kind of getting back to to fitness again. Well, I haven't heard anything any different on that, but I, I expect Willis to come back in. I expect Flanagan to keep his place because he didn't do huge amount wrong in midfield. Ledbet is going to come back in. Max Power is going to keep that position because Parkinson thinks he's uh, he's doing something right there and up top Charlie White scored so he's going to keep the shirt but I, I just think he's dictating 
how we're playing at the moment. And uh, Parkinson appears to love that. He, he thinks it's fantastic that we're playing that way and he's got that physicality up front. But I don't, do we need it? <laughs> the problem is when he's there, we're getting nothing comes through the middle. It's all it all goes wide, balls into the box. Half of them are aimless. They clear them no problems. Charlie White doesn't get on the end of them. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 getting on the score sheet, fantastic. But problem is he's he's completely dictating the, the, the pattern of play. But I'm fully expecting him to be up front uh, the weekend again. So who who would you change instead then? For me, Danny Graham and Will Gregg are better footballers. And I think one of them, one of them needs a run. I'd like, to, I'd like to see Danny Graham, either of them, to be honest. But I think if they get a run, you'll soon see our partner play a change that will play more through the middle. We'll play off them. We'll, we'll kind of have, you know, he'll get in behind and we'll have Maguire running with the ball and he'll actually have an option in front of him, um, which he hasn't got at the minute. So I'd just like to, to, to see us get in behind more, uh, which is just something, it's just not an option at the minute. Craig, what's your thoughts on that? Are you pretty much agreeing with uh, Chris on who, who Parkinson's going to play? Yeah, I think the decision itself, it, no, it, it is. It's 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 that kind of a customary now that you don't expect any changes unless it's like due to disciplinary or it's due to injury. You know, ideally, we've, we've discussed systems and plan Bs and things like that. I still can't quite get my head around after like all these seasons in this league. Why we don't go play two up front somewhere? Um, I think if you look back in all of our sort of recent or over the past, you know, kind of 20, 30 years of promotion seasons, we've, we've played sort of attractive attacking football. We've played two people up front, whether that's Gates and Gabby Adini, whether it's, you know, a combination of Craig Russell Phil Gray, Quinn and Phillips, Stephen Elliott, Marcus Stewart. Every single season, there is always a duo. Um, and... You know, I'm I'm kind of fully in agreement there. I'd I'd like to see Will Grigg get a run because again, it's it's another bench warmer who's on an awful lot of money, and you think it's something at some point somebody's going to have to try and get a tune out of him, and it must be incredibly disheartening for a player like him who had a relatively good preseason. Like I said he started the season okay against Hull. Um, obviously unfortunate that he had the two goals chalked off. You know what? He missed a penalty, big deal. Um, but then he's dropped, and then when he does come in, he's he's you know, scrapping for five minutes here and there. So he's not getting a, a good run. Same with Danny Graham as well. Um, honestly, I, th- I think he's an upgrade on Charlie White. But the thing that Charlie White keeps doing at present is he keeps scoring goals. And, you know, you can't drop him uh, based on, <laughs> on, obviously, his goal return, which is something we probably all thought we'd never see. But It's quite I, interesting that we're moaning about you know, that player scoring goals because we can't drop him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's a funny one. But that being said... It, you know, even so, you could still potentially look at playing Charlie White alongside somebody. You know, he's he's a big lad. He should be winning the aerial battles. Um, I mean, granted, I don't think he wins enough. I think, obviously, he concedes an awful lot of fouls. But that being said, I think if you relieve the burden off him, because playing up front alone, it is going to be an isolating experience. And I'm sure if he did have somebody to, you know, kind of relieve the burden, then who knows, it might bring even more out of him. So I'd honestly like us to go take the game room. Um, you know, we've got to win. Phil Parkinson has to win this game. You know, I know it's only going to be our ninth game of the season, but we're already in must-win territory. You don't want to be falling yeah. 10 points behind teams, you know, at this stage of the season, because if you do, then you can start writing it off already. Um, so whilst I think the team is pretty much going to pick itself, um, I just want to see Phil Parkinson be a bit more ambitious, be a bit braver have a bit more imagination and say you know what we're going to take the game to these we're going to be whipping balls in we're going to be frightening the life out of them put somebody like jack diamond or benji kimbioka on the bench somebody raw somebody with a bit of you know any energetic sort of bursts that we don't know what is going to produce but put the defense under pressure you know run at people draw fouls you know continuously put them under pressure but that being said i guarantee we'll be flashing forward to saturday It'll be the slow build-up, long ball, lethargic play, and we'll be sat moaning on about it again. But <laughs> he's, he's got to try something different at some point. No, that's exactly it. Well, Chris, what's your uh, predictions for uh, Saturday? Yeah, Jillian, I'm away. I think it's going to be a very similar um, prospect to Rochdale, um, although they've they've lost four off the bounce. So potential banana skin, but... Uh, yeah, I I just think we're gonna go. It's gonna be it's gonna um it's gonna be a, a lot of people are gonna complain about paying a tenner for it. It's gonna be a slog to watch. <laughs> it's gonna be painful to watch. And I'm going for a one all draw. 
one or draw. That is always one of the stats that I hate hearing the most that a team's on a losing run or a striker's not scored for 10 games or something like that. Because you know, if you want to end one of those, play Sunderland. Because yeah. nine out of 10 times, you'll get that result. Yeah, I was I was there 20 years ago or something when Adiak and Bay scored. I was at Filbert Street and you just, everybody talked about it in the morning. You just knew he was going to score. The law of Adiak and Bay, that's exactly what it is. Craig, what's your feelings for uh, for Saturday? Yeah, I think it's worth noting that in three of those last four games that Gillingham have played, it's been against uh, like our rival promotion contenders, if you like. So they've got beat off Ipswich, they've got beat off Fleetwood, and they've got beat off Portsmouth. So if we have any aspirations to basically match them, we've got to go and win this game. Um, I think we'll concede because we are starting to look somewhat shaky at the back. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually back us to go and win this game. I think it'll be 2-1. Um, it'll probably be ugly. It'll probably not be worth the tenner, but you know what? We've just we've got to go and win this game. So you're going to one, right? I'm going to end this podcast on a really positive note. So we're going to win four nil, and everything's going to be rosy. And next week's pod's going to be really, really happy one. <laughs> <laughs> but gentlemen, we are done. Um, Craig, thank you so much for uh, coming on board. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. And uh, Chris, as always, it's an absolute pleasure speaking to yourself. Cheers, Brett. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. That be there on Acast, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. We'll see you again soon. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.